So with all of the events and incidents that we have been enduring over the last uh, seven, eight plus months, people are asking this question, is it the end? Is the world going to end? Uh, you know, what about the coronavirus? Does that mean the world is going to end? Is this a world-ending plague? And then as we watch this thing grind on, it just kind of maybe doesn't seem like it's as bad as they were telling us that it was. But there's still this gnawing question, I think, in many people's minds. How is the world going to end, right? So I can remember that uh, there was kind of a, a theme, if you will, that you would see in various television shows and movies on occasion. There would be a, a, a man, usually a man, out on the street carrying a sign, uh, and the, the sign would say, the end is near, and presumably he would be, you know, in, in all these different TV shows and whatever, you'd see this person out there with, with this sign, and this is presumably a street preacher that's trying to help people to understand that the end is near. And uh, we are actually in Second Peter. Craig said First Peter. He didn't realize that I'd already transitioned out of First Peter. We're in Second Peter, and Second Peter actually has something to say about this, um, and we will get into that. Uh, in our Wednesday Bible study, but I'm also probably going to cover some of this uh, in here as well. But so what I want to do is I want to I do a brief series, all right? It's not going to last very long, probably a minimum of four, a maximum of six weeks. I mean, we're, we're headed toward the Christmas holiday, and contrary to what's going on in our culture, we're not canceling Christmas, amen? amen. We're not even canceling Halloween, and it's not much of a Christian deal. I mean, we're going to put our cars out. We're going to do what we do. If you notice, we just kind of do what we do. We just, we're just here. We're just kind of going to do what we do, and the Lord's going to bless, and we're going to progress, and we're going to see that God's going to do great things. You know, that happens when you start believing God's Word, and you stop believing the Word of humans. That doesn't mean we don't want to listen to, to folks that you know, have knowledge about things like a virus and this sort of thing. But there, there's so much politics in play right now, you don't even know what to trust anymore. I, I know something. You see this? I brought my old school black Bible. I can trust this. Can you trust this? So whenever you... Well, let's just start with this. Every story has an end. Amen? Has a beginning, has a middle, has an end. Go all the way back to Aristotle... He talked about uh, how to write stories. Every story has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Every good movie is going to have an act one, an act two, and an act three. Act one introduces everything. Act two is where you move into the, the center of the story and you, you get to know the characters and so forth. And act three is where it moves to its conclusion. We're living a story. But it's not a fable. It's not a fairy tale. It's not fiction. It's the real thing. And it's not just going to go on and on. It doesn't eternally recur or repeat. There's a beginning. There's a middle. And I do believe we're in Act 3. Now, I don't know how long Act 3 is going to last. So what I'm going to say is the end is near. But how near is near? In fact, I can say it like this. The end is near? I just gave you a point of punctuation that I never even knew existed before. Have you ever heard of the Interrobang? No, nobody has. Do you know it has its own Facebook page? <laughs> the Interrobang. It is a question mark with an exclamation point right in the middle of it, and it's not something that is recent or novel. It's actually been around for a while. The Interrobang. Look it up. 
And that's what I think that that, that, that statement that I'm going to make the theme of this sermon series would end with an interrobang. The end is near. So I'm not going to say, the end is near. <laughs> and I'm not going to say, the end is near. Because I do believe the end is near. But I think the end has been near for a long time. So people have this idea of the end of time, the end of the world, um, if they do believe in such a thing, that this is a straight line. We're walking in a straight line, and it, it would be like when I reach the edge of the stage right here and I step off, that's the end. Boom! It's all over. But I, I, I had a theology professor in college one time that explained it to me like this, and I, I went over this in Wednesday Bible study some time back. But he said, really, it's more like this is the end right here. And ever since Jesus rose from the dead, we've been walking along the edge of the end. And at any point in time. Now, for you, at any point in time, your life can end. And that is the end for you. It doesn't matter how you think the world is going to end, how you read Revelation or Daniel or, you know, Jesus' eschatological discourse in Matthew chapter 24. Your life's going to end sooner or later. And when it does, you're going to stand before God in judgment. So, I think that we should think, consider it like this. Um, let's think of this as being the seashore. How, how many of y'all have ever walked along a seashore, right? Ever been walking along the shore when the tide is coming in? So, at first you're walking along and it's just perfectly, you know, the sand is pretty much dry. But if you walk long enough and the tide is coming in, what starts happening? Water starts coming in over your feet, and then it comes up to your ankles, right? And it just depends on where you're standing, it comes up to your knees, and the water starts lapping. You're like, okay, I, I'm getting wet here. Well, I do think that that's what's happening. And I think we're walking along the seashore of the end, and I think the tide is coming in. So what we need to understand is, let, let's look at it a different way. I said a story has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Let's, let's look at it like a journey, right? A trip. When you're taking a journey, when you're taking a trip, you have a destination. Isn't that right? Now, I've run into some of these guys that really enjoy traveling, and there's a couple of guys. Um, actually, I think there's three of them. They live in California. Sorry for them. Um, it's a great state. It's such a beautiful state, and it is so horribly governed right now. Um, there's just all sorts of companies and individuals that are leaving right now. Ben Shapiro just said that he's pulling up his entire uh, media organization, and they're leaving. A lot of other folks are leaving, but it's such a beautiful, beautiful state, right? Um, but nonetheless, that's, that's my experience as far as walking along a shore and, and understanding and, and feeling those sorts of things uh, with, the, uh, with the tide coming in. But um, these three guys that I was thinking about live in California, and they've made themselves famous by duplicating the main wallpaper picture of each of Apple's new operating systems. So what they do is they see that main picture, whatever it is, and then they go out and they try to duplicate it. And they've done a really good job in each, in each case. But they're also on Instagram, and they've done a couple of things where they just randomly decide where they're going to go. 
So apparently Instagram has like this travel section on it where you can look at all these different places that people have traveled to. Those of you that are into Instagram maybe know more about this than I do. Because um, you can do all sorts of searches on Instagram. It's not just, you know, look at the pictures of your, you know, hundred or thousand friends. But in any event, um, what they did is they, <laughs> they did this kind of lottery travel thing where they put it on that travel page and then they just did this and spun it on their phone, boom, and then stopped it. And that's where they were going to go, no matter where it was. Wow. So the first one was like still in California and they were able to get there in like three hours. But then there was another one that they went to and it's like on the other side of the world. You know, these are kind of random ways to decide where you're going to go, but you have to know where you're going to go before you start, right? You don't just get in your car and just start driving, do you? Even if you say, you know what, I just want to drive, I just want to get out of here, you probably have some idea in the back of your mind. You're going to go some direction. I've even heard people, I've never done this, by the way, but I've even heard people that have uh, done the, the coin flip uh, as, a, as a way of deciding where they're going to go. So how does that work? Well, every time you get to an intersection, you flip the coin. Heads, you go right. Tails, you go left. I don't know what happens when you go straight. I guess, but anyway, the point is, you know, you don't, where am I going to end up? I, this is how some people live their lives, I guess, right? But we should start with the end in mind. How's the world going to end? Here's how it's going to end. I'm going to read it to you. This is why I'm not afraid of anything. If you fear God, you don't need to fear anything. Amen? You don't need to fear anything or anyone if you revere God. I haven't been afraid of the coronavirus at all, ever, at any time. Even at the beginning, when I was like, oh, shut everything down, stay inside. I was like, no, no, I'm, no, I'm good. Okay, this is not the plague, right? The plague wiped out half of Europe. I don't think we're quite there yet. Doesn't look like we're going to get there either, right? But nonetheless, even if the plague were to hit, heaven forbid, right, or Ebola, that would be horrible. That would be a reason to stay in. That's 50 to 90% mortality rate, case mortality rate. That's what they're treating this like, and it's nothing like this. This isn't even as bad as the flu for a lot of people. But nonetheless, here's how it's going to end. This is uh, Revelation 19:11 and following. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. In righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. Those are crowns, by the way. Those are crowns for those that rule. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And we could read on uh, uh, some other uh, in interesting things concerning this uh, in Revelation. But what you need to understand is the world's not just going to grind to an end, right? So the universe is subject to entropy. All matter is proceeding toward chaos. All energy is proceeding toward death. But the world's not going to end in billions and billions of years by just grinding to an end. Jesus is going to return, and he's going to bring it to an end. 
That's what you need to understand. So we can look at all these theories about the end of time and revelation and all this, but in the end, what you need to realize is that Jesus could come back anytime. Anytime. That's the imminent return of Christ. And if it's hard for you to imagine that, you could die anytime, and then you're going to meet him face to face. And what you need to understand is that Jesus will judge. So if you're looking at your outline, we've covered a couple of these points, but we'll give you the fill-in here. Number one, God will bring an end. Specifically, he will bring an end to injustice and evil. And sometimes the Bible calls this the day of the Lord. So we look around us and we see uh, cops killing innocent people or unarmed people, perhaps not innocent and then we see cop killers who purportedly are, are, are paying them back. There is a day coming when every killer cop and every cop killer will stand before Almighty God and be judged in righteousness. Amen? Amen. Now I'm going to tell you something. Forgiveness is meaningless without justice. Forgiveness is meaningless without righteousness. When people do evil, they deserve to be punished for the evil that they have done. In the end, you need to understand something. Nobody is going to get away with anything. And it's not my rules or my priorities or my principles or yours. It's not my opinion or yours. It's the God who created the universe that operates in accordance with his laws of physics, and he established the moral law, which he reveals to us through his word. That God is going to judge. Number two, at that time, God will judge people for what they've done, so it is also called judgment day. Let's look at that day of the Lord designation. Uh, I was going to read this scripture before I went on to the next point, but both points are, are just really point one and two, or A and B of the, of the same uh, deal. This is Amos chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him or went into a house and leaned his hand against the wall, and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light, and gloom with no brightness in it? Well, why was he saying that? Well, these people were crying out for God to come and vindicate them and help them, but they were the ones that were in sin. They were the ones that were doing wrong. And God said, the day of the Lord is going to be a day of darkness for you. Every one of us is going to face God in judgment. Every one of us is going to wind up on that same day, that day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is not one 24-hour period. It is that period of the end. That's what we're talking about. When we say the end is near, the end is not just a single uh, moment in time or a single day. If, As we look at Revelation, we'll see that there are a number of events that are going to happen as God pours out his judgment upon the earth. The end is near. The end is near. The day of the Lord is coming. Now, whether that day is a day of darkness for you, or whether that is a day of anticipation for reward, depends on your relationship with Almighty God. And that depends on your relationship to His Son, Jesus. Because Jesus is going to be the judge. Number three, Christ came the first time to save us from sin and death. 
This is what we'll, we'll, we'll look at John the Baptist in just a moment. This is, we believe, Jesus' cousin, but he was the forerunner of Jesus. And he pointed to Jesus and said, that's the Christ. That's the Messiah. That's the one. But Jesus didn't immediately usher in the day of the Lord. Jesus didn't immediately bring in the kingdom of God. So even John sent people to Jesus and said, are you the one who was to come or should we look for another? Because Jesus didn't immediately bring the world to an end. He brought salvation. He brought an age of grace. And that is where you stand right now. You and I are standing precariously on the precipice of the age of grace. But when, uh, when God makes the determination, that age of grace is going to end and the day of judgment is going to begin. Amen. So you need to make a decision to put your full and firm faith in Jesus Christ while you have the opportunity. Because after you die, there are no more opportunities. That's when you're called to account. That's when you and I will have to give an account for our lives. Number four, Christ will return to bring justice and to reign. And I started by reading the passage out of Revelation 19. That's how it's going to end. Jesus is going to return, and he's going to make everything right. We look around us, and there's a lot of things that are not fair, right? Even if, even if we don't look at the dramatic things, right? that people are, are protesting and so forth, even if you just look at your life, is everything in your life right? Is everything in your life fair? Just let's look at the world. There are people in parts of the world that have almost nothing. There are people that are starving. There are people that don't have clean water. And you and I are complaining because, you know, the waiter didn't bring lemon to put in our water. It's an unfair world. But God is going to send his son to make everything right. That's what you and I need to understand. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't work for justice, that we shouldn't seek to make things fair, that we shouldn't care about people. But it does mean that we're never going to usher in some utopia down here, some heaven on earth down here. Not until Jesus returns is that going to happen. So we should work to make things fair for other people and love people and so forth. But in the end, justice is going to return when Jesus returns. So here we have number five. John the Baptist told the people of Israel to repent because the kingdom of God was coming. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, Jesus brought the kingdom of heaven because he was the king. He is the king. And when you submit or surrender your life to Jesus, you become a subject. You become part of that kingdom. They were assuming that at that point in time, Jesus was going to, as the Christ, reign on earth and remove the, they considered, unjust rule of the Roman Empire so that they would have their own nation back again. But Jesus didn't do that, and of course this is the reason why John the Baptist had his initial questions. This is why the Orthodox Jewish people to this day reject Jesus, because they're like, well, he didn't do what we expect that the Messiah is going to do. And that's because Jesus came to bring salvation first, but he is going to return to rule and to judge, or to judge and to rule. Number six, Jesus clearly stated that the Father has given him the right to judge. Now, I want to look at this. This is in John chapter 5. And this uh, is Jesus speaking in John 5, 22 and 23. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Did you hear that? 
The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Who's the Son? That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Jesus said later in this very same Gospel of John, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Everybody's going through Jesus. Now, there may be plenty of people on planet Earth that have not yet had a proper introduction to Jesus, but we're all still going to stand before the judge, and that's Jesus. As we're going to see at the end of this outline, I'm just going to quote this, this scripture now, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. How many people is all? Everybody. Yeah, that's everybody. There's nobody that's going to... Well, what about this particular group of people? No, everybody. Well, what about if they don't believe in Jesus? No, everybody is going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's how everything ends. Right? So we see John the Baptist really inferring, by saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that the Christ is going to judge and make things right. Okay? You see Jesus clearly stating that the Father has given him the right to judge. And then number seven, Apostle Paul warned, uh, warned the philosophers in his day, and this was uh, in, uh, in Athens, Greece, he warned the philosophers of his day that God, quote, has set a day to judge the world by the man he has appointed. In Acts 17, 30 and 31, the Apostle Paul specifically spoke to these, these philosophers on Mars Hill and said that God overlooked in ages past, in days past, the, the, the kind of ignorance and foolishness that you guys are participating in here by worshiping these false gods. But God is not going to continue to do that. In fact, he has already begun to make a complete transformation, the Apostle Paul has said, by appointing a man to judge whom he raised from the dead. That's Jesus. And that's when they stopped listening. They were like, ah, raised from the dead. Okay, we'll, we'll talk to you later on that. But you know what I've been taken back by uh, in, in recent years? How many times the Bible from beginning to end, and that's why I'm covering it today, says that Jesus will judge, Jesus will judge, Jesus will judge, Jesus will judge, over and over and over and over and over. It's not a secondary thing. It's what he came to do, to save those who will come to him in faith and receive his gift of eternal life, and to judge those who will not. Fairly, with absolute fairness. That's what's going to happen. That's how it's going to end. And now here is the, the, uh, the scripture that I quoted earlier. This is number eight. There's a fill in there for you. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that we may receive what is due for what we've done in the physical body down here on earth, whether good or evil. You're going to stand before the Bema seat. That's what it's called. That's the old way of looking at it or designating it, right? And that comes from the Greek, bematos tu Christu, the judgment seat, the bema seat of Christ. You and I are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's a reason, by the way, to alter your thinking, to change your ways. Because you're not getting away with anything. I'm not getting away with anything. God is omniscient. Do you know what that means? 
means he knows everything. God is omnipresent. Do you know what that means? That means he's everywhere. He's in the dark room with you. He hears what you say under your breath. He hears what you say in your mind. That's why you might as well just open your mind and pray without ceasing anyway because you're not hiding anything from God. You can't hide from a God that created light. We need to live like we're walking in the light right now and quit acting like we're getting away with anything. We're not, nobody's getting away with anything. When you start living like that, you'll start living right. Because pretty soon you realize, and then when you do make mistakes, and you will, you immediately want to stand up and make it right. Because you don't know how long you have. You and I do not know how long we have. We don't know when the trumpet's going to blow and Jesus is going to return. We don't know when our last day on earth will be. We don't know when the last moment, when we'll breathe our last breath, will be. Number nine, it is appointed for everyone wants to die and then comes judgment. That's you. That's an appointment you won't be late for. Some of you are late on a regular basis. You won't be late for that appointment. You will be on time. If we understand that, it makes us live differently. It makes us look at the end differently. Now, this may cause you to fear. I'm just going to tell you, that's not a bad thing. As long as you understand that that fear should be reverence for God that doesn't cause you to try to run away from God because you can't run away from an omnipresent being. You notice that? It's not like, oh, God is over here, so I'm going to run this. No, he's over here. He's over here. He's, over here. Ah, he's everywhere. You can't run from God. It's not possible. So what I need to do is I need to bow before him, not run from him. Amen? Amen. And once I do, and I confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Wow. 1 John 1, 9. That's good news. When I confess sin, I need to really, really admit that it is wrong, period. Not well, God, everybody's doing it. That doesn't make it any less wrong. Well, this is just the way, this is the way I'm made. And God says, I made you. So we need to confess our sin. We need to make it right with the Lord. And once we do, then we don't have a reason to fear judgment. I read you Jesus' statement in John chapter 5, 23 and 24. But, and by the way, that's number 10, right? You don't have to fear judgment if you are in Christ. That's the final statement there. But listen to, uh, to this very important verse. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment. That scripture is there, and does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Now, that sounds like Jesus is contradicting himself. He said everyone's going to be judged, and he says will not come into judgment. Your status, whether you're going to get into heaven or not, is not up in the air. Right now, where you sit right now, you are either a citizen of the kingdom of God or you are not. You are, you are either saved or you are not. 
And it is all dependent upon whether you are willing to confess Jesus Christ is Lord. To as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be children of God, even to those who called on his name. Have you called on his name to be your Savior and your Master, your Lord, your King? then you already have status. You have been made righteous. You have been justified. You've been put right with God through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. You are already a citizen of the kingdom. You don't have to fear judgment. But you pass from death to life. What is judgment day going to be for you? It is going to be a day for you to be rewarded for what you've done for the Lord. Or I believe for you to be perhaps even tearful, because you didn't do anything for the Lord. Because you lived a selfish life. The Apostle Paul said there's going to be people that are going to be saved, but they're going to be saved like somebody running out of a burning building. Like you're running out of a burning building and your clothes are on fire, and you've got to jump on the ground and roll around, and you don't have anything left. You've got hair that's burned off, and you've got clothes that are burned off, but you're, you're alive, you're saved. And that's how some people are going to be saved. Well, I escaped judgment. But you lived your life like you're a citizen of hell. Why live like that? Why not live with the end in view right now? Why not say, you know what? Whether I'm one of these kids right here, whether I'm one of these teenagers, or whether you're older like me, I am going to live my life for Jesus. I'm going to stop listening to all of the lies that the world is telling. I'm going to stop living my life for myself. I'm going to live in light of eternity. I'm going to realize that the return of Jesus Christ is imminent. He could come back at any time and bring it all to an end. Every time you're participating in something that you know is shady or dirty, imagine what would happen if Jesus returned right in the middle of that. Pretty terrible, wouldn't it be? So let's not live like that. Let's not think like that. Let's live in light of the imminent return of Jesus Christ. And that's going to make us just be different people all the time. Now, there's a whole lot more to this, but I wanted you to understand, before we start getting into how the world may end, you need to understand that it will end when Jesus returns. That's what we're looking forward to. And there's a whole lot that's wrong. There's a whole lot of justice that is not being served in people's lives. We may have the best court system in the world, and yet there are a lot of people that do not get justice in our present court system. There are people that get off when they've done terrible crimes. They just get off. I remember hearing a story some years ago about a man who murdered his wife and got 10 years probation for it. How does that even happen? It's an abomination, man. And we got a, a young man, in fact, I just, I just wrote to him the other day, um, who's in jail. And he, listen, he, he didn't act right. He had a big mouth on him. He had all kinds of issues and problems. But basically, he assaulted his neighbor. And because he assaulted his neighbor, he is in prison for eight years. They hung a class two felony on him. Now, he was foolish. He got probation initially and didn't obey the rules of his probation but nobody should get eight years in prison for assault. Actually, he didn't even, he attempted the assault. But this is just one of those things. That, that's not, I, I'm sorry, that's not justice. 
And people have this idea that, well, if someone commits a crime that I think is heinous, that I hate, that I don't like, well, then they should just die. But if they do something that, well, I don't think it's that bad, everybody does that, then they should, you know, they kind of get a pass. Justice is absolute, and God is the only one that's going to bring it the way it needs to be brought. So you and I need to understand, nobody's going to get away with anything, including you and I. You and I. We need to put ourselves before the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to say, you know what? He sees it all anyway. I'm just going to confess to him. I'm going to stop making excuses. I'm going to stop assuming and presuming that just because other people haven't seen this, just because other people don't know this, doesn't mean that God doesn't know it. Just because God hasn't poured out consequences upon me for what I have done doesn't mean that those consequences are not due until I confess it and put it on the cross. That's how it's going to end. So we might as well live like it's going to end right now. Amen? Amen. And then whether or not the world lasts another hundred or another thousand years, doesn't matter. I'm living like today could be the end. I'm walking along the seashore of eternity and the tide is coming in. But you know what? There's going to be a tidal wave that comes in that is the return of Jesus. And I need to be ready for that. When we close your eyes and bow your head. Father, I want to come before you right now and confess in front of these people that I am an unworthy person, an unworthy preacher, an unworthy servant. That I need your forgiveness, that I need your salvation, that I need your cleansing, that I cannot earn any of that. But I trust completely in the shed blood of Jesus Christ on that cross. And I receive the righteousness that you impute to me. And I pray each person in this room will realize that that's what we need. If we're going to get right with you, you've got to, you've got to do the transaction. We can't do the transaction. All we can do is trust you. But then I pray that each of us will realize we need to repent. We need to change our thinking. We need to change our ways. We need to walk uprightly. We need to walk in the light of the Lord Jesus Christ who said he's the light of the world and whoever walks in that light will never stumble in darkness. There's darkness all over the world. And even Christians are, are stumbling. It's like they refuse to walk in the light of Jesus. And I pray that we will not be those purported Christians, but we'll be real followers of Jesus, Christ-like people who seek to live our lives for you each and every day. I pray if there's anyone in the hearing of my voice, whether they're in this room or watching uh, online, either today or at another time, that if they do not have that solid, secure relationship with Jesus, that they will cry out to you right now and ask you to save them. Pray this prayer with me, those of you that are in the room, those of you that are watching uh, online. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Dear Jesus, I am a sinner. I have fallen short, and I am sorry for my sin. I believe you will judge. I believe you died for my sin. I believe you rose from the dead. I put my faith in you today. I open my heart. I ask you to come into my life. Be my Savior. Be my God. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen.